how I usually like to start these conversations really is about an individual's journey, man. And I think you have a, a, a very interesting one with sort of your background and, and we could kind of start wherever. And, and then I think, you know, lead up to, to Boston Tweet and we could talk about, you know, Flutter. We could talk about Strive for Strive. We could talk about all the things that, that you sort of done, done since then. But I guess maybe start a little bit uh, before Boston Tweet and then we'll get into to what kind of happened there. I went to school in Boston, Boston College. And I, uh, Boston College is a huge finance law, sort of your traditional, or at least when I went. And so I went into finance after that doing uh, internet research, actually researching in the late 90s, a lot of internet companies like Amazon and Broadcast.com and eBay, like back when things were starting. And I was like, wow, this is really, really exciting stuff. Much more exciting than sitting here analyzing stock prices and all that crap. I shouldn't say crap. It just wasn't for me. Um, I was like, let's, I tried to find a job in the internet. Lycos was actually a big company in Boston yeah, at that man. time. Actually, Ask Jeeves was here too, if you remember Ask Yeah, Jeeves, man, absolutely. Which was like a search engine that you asked, like pre-Google. So yeah. it was like, wow, you can ask this guy for a question. So I tried to get jobs in those fields and they were like, no, you're a finance guy from BC. There's no way in hell we would hire you. And obviously I was very sad at that because of that. But looking back, I'm like, yeah, you're right. So I quit the, the finance job. It wasn't for me. Uh, and I created um, an alumni network, um, which we'll, we'll skip over. I created an alumni network and then created a research database called Research Connect. That was getting now into the mid-2000s. It taught me a lot of things not to do. There, there were two, two pretty big failures. Yeah. Um, one, to stay very focused and be very niche. Um, the other, to choose your partners wisely. The, uh, the alumni the alumni network, uh, we had some, we just didn't get along and the company failed because of that. So those are a couple of things I learned going into 08. I had actually started uh, a company called BizAc, an all online company. BizAc was an internet valuation tool, hmm. um, which in four months would be absolutely worthless because the valuation of all companies would change in September 08. Yeah. Um, and then I created Healthcare Tractor with a doctor called Infomed MD, which was a good platform, but it would take it would take in a couple of years to get up and running. Mm-hmm. And then we're in the fall of 08, Lehman Brothers crashed. You know, I had two internet companies that weren't going to make me a dime, at least not for a long time, and became really anxious, actually really anxious part of my life. And looking around and going into October, November, things were getting really worse here. Obama had just been elected president. Mm-hmm. So that was that was you know, a hopeful sign. But uh, uh, my worry was we'd be 1929 all over a Great Depression. Right. And I wanted to create this platform that sort of could alert you. And as a single guy living in the city, alert you to restaurants and, and things happening in certain bars and entertainment. And that's been done ad nauseum since then. But back in 08, there yeah. wasn't much there. But since I just lost a ton of money with these two crappy startups, um, the only option I had was to create a Twitter account. And so November 08, I created something called Boston Tweet on Twitter, which, you know, I started it. I looked at Twitter in early 08 as myself, Tom O'Keefe. And I was like, you know, it's a really boring subject. No one's going to want to hear this whatsoever. But when I looked at it from a perspective of, of talking about what was around me and talking about Boston and keep people aware sort of as a news source, yeah. uh, it made a lot of sense. And at that time, most news uh, news centers, news mediums were not on there. Most restaurants were not on um, nope. on Twitter. So it was a way for me to create awareness for local business during that during that recession. Right. Unfortunately, unfortunately we're sort of in worse time now. But uh, it was a, also a way for me to just kind of bide my time until maybe getting a job after the holidays. That was you know November 08. 
But by June, January 2009, it actually became pretty big. Becoming a thing, it was becoming really popular. And what, what amazed me at that time was kind of this real citizen journalism platform um, that we were dictating what was going in the Boston Globe and other media uh, mediums around the city uh and that really blew me away amazing and, and just give an idea of some of the content like was it just like you know going to, to local restaurants and, and sort of taking a picture of like like the menus or the picture of the owner or was it just like neighborhood well, landscapes boston tube was always a mix of the social and also news like i love mm -hmm. co covering news i love covering events going on in the city like things of importance like uh yeah. traffic is a huge issue right now in the city <laughs> uh, covering things of that nature anything that was happening on the street, whether um, it was always on a positive side of things and not trying to, uh, you know, I started as a way to build up companies during a recession. So there was yeah. never an interest in bringing someone down. You were trying to get people into small businesses. Uh, yeah. And then mixing it with news. Um, yeah. If you ever been in Boston or MBTA, we love to hate the MBTA. So that's a huge topic. If the train's down, you know, but getting it out on Twitter could save you a ton of time because our city is really small. Mm. You can walk, three train stations, three train stops in like 15 minutes. So instead of waiting on the ground for four right. hours, you might as well walk. So it was a mix of all social and news going on in the city. And it really started to grow. It grew a lot. And uh, then I started working with various startups and getting their word out in the city. That was 09, 10, getting those apps out. I actually worked with Groupon when they launched in Boston from uh, – uh, 09, 10, and 11, which was really interesting. And one, there was a period when people really loved Groupon, and then it, yeah. people really, and then people really hated Groupon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Groupon was really interesting because they launched in November 08 too. Interesting. Um, they made a few billion dollars more than I did, but uh, <laughs> they launched, and I don't think they could have ever launched without that recession because at that time, restaurants right. really needed people in their restaurant mm -hmm. uh, and Groupon was a great platform. You know, there's tons of talks about the economics behind it and restaurants getting screwed out because sure. I, think, I think restaurants made 25% after everything was said and done. Uh, but at the time it was a tremendous platform. And, and basically what we did is uh, Boston Street working with Groupon was hiding a lot of uh, free meals around the city for a scavenger hunt. And then that led to kind of how I eventually monetized Boston Tweet, just mm -hmm. hiding stuff in the city, patch tickets, uh, in, these, in, these, in this part of the land, people go crazy for patch tickets. Oh yeah, uh, Red Sox tickets and, uh, you know, and money, we've done work with, with banks to hide money. Hmm. And uh, it's really fun to watch, it was really fun to do and, and just hiding them out there. And then that obviously all came to a halt this year. But one thing about Boston Tweet that really, it got me very connected with local charities. So it was an ability to give them a voice. Mm -hmm. um, Pine Strenin, Greater Boston Food Bank, Rosie's Place, It Takes a Village, you know, all places that small charities and just to get their message out there. You know, sure. um, they were looking for a much younger audience, at least to volunteer, if not to donate. So it was a great way to get my feet introduced with charities. Mm -hmm. and, and then that sort of led to Flutter. Uh, Flutter I launched in 2015. And Flutter is basically like Omaze. I actually saw a Nightline. Yeah. Uh, not nightly, no, nightly news article about Omaze. And I was like, wow, this is a terrific concept. But what Flutter was, they brought a hyper local. We, we right. supported small local charities and we supported, we created local experiences. So like flying on the hood blimp over the Fenway Park, over Fenway Park. Awesome. Yeah. If you're from, you know, California, you could probably care less about that. But for Bostonians, that's a huge experience. 
we raised money for you know Rosie's Place, which is a women's shelter here. So Flutter really was the first time I was able to really get work very closely with small uh, charities. And I realized that they're as entrepreneurial yeah. as, as a startup, as a startup that's out to make you know a billion dollars. There's no less ingenuity behind these small uh, charities as there are for the, um, for the startup. It's just their motive is a little bit different and the motivation, obviously it's different. So it really, it was a huge awakening and learning period for me. It really blew me away. And that sort of laid the seed for eventually starting Stride for Stride about two years after uh, after Flutter closed down. And Stride for Stride, which I give you a lot of credit for helping me launch Stride for Stride because of your book recommendations. <laughs> um, honestly, it, honestly, that's amazing, it gave me a, man. No, dude, that's, that's awesome. A lot of, it gave me a lot of inf- inspiration. So really that, that your article is extremely helpful. But I'm an avid runner and there's two things you notice when you're running a race. One, they're quite expensive. So to hmm. run a half, run a half marathon is going to cost you about $80. If you want to run the Boston Marathon, it's going to cost you $250 if you qualify. If you don't qualify, it's going to cost you $350 to run as a charity runner. And then charity runners have to raise $10,000 for charity. Wow. So massive amount of money. Yeah. Uh, not all are as extreme. Boston Marathon is sure. That's the highest. Yeah. Yeah. New York City is another big one. Chicago, actually, Chicago is only about. 2500 for charity. But uh, obviously, you need to have some money behind you or have friends that have money. So one, races are expensive. And two, races are not diverse. They're pretty white yep. uh, for the most part. And you know the cost has a lot to do with that. So running these races, my idea was like, how can we get more diverse in these races? How can we get more Latinos and immigrant runners and black runners into this race? And so the basic simple concept was, we'll buy the race bids. So Stride for Stride is a 501c3 public charity that buys race bids uh, for basically low-income runners. Hmm. Um, low-income runners, immigrant runners, black runners, anyone that can't afford to run a race will buy that race for you. I'm a little biased when it comes to running, but I feel crossing a finish line, especially something like a Boston Marathon, is a tremendous accomplishment. Hmm. It is something you never forget. It's something that keeps you healthy. It keeps you training for it and stay. Marathons are a different story, but even just a smaller race keeps you healthy, focused, you might drink less, you might stay more active, and it gives you this accomplishment and this ideal that anything is possible. You know, once you cross the finish line, you know, you feel like a rock star, especially races that have tons of spectators are cheering you on. Right. Beautiful thing about Stride for Stride that I love is we have a team, both now we have a team of about 25 runners. Most of them are immigrants, about 23 are immigrants from uh, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, not really immigrants, but Jamaica, a couple guys from Jamaica. And so when you get all these guys and girls to the starting line, everyone is equal. As long as they can get to the starting line, they're equal. And it doesn't matter how much money you make. Right. So the the guy making 12 bucks an hour, as long as he's at the starting line, he can beat the multimillionaire uh, the race. And it, to be honest, a lot of times our runners are, are some of the best runners in the field. So as long as they get there. So Strive for Start School is to get you to the starting line so you have a chance to feel what it's like to cross the finish line. It's been, for me, a tremendous experience just to learn from these guys and girls from uh, all over the country that have a totally different upbringing than I do just to, you know, experience the joy with them of running. I think there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to touch on there. And I think one would be, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people just over the years and, and just friends, right? And, and a lot of people just say, you know, I, I want to start like a, a nonprofit, right? I have this idea, right? A lot like companies, 
You know, a lot of people just have an idea to start a company and there's so much that goes in from idea to actually doing it. Right. Sure. And same with the nonprofit. I think your analogy between startups and nonprofit is super legit because I think there's a there's a lot of innovative people in, in the sort of charity and nonprofit space. And usually it's not looked at that way, um, especially technology over the years has been made specifically for, you know, startups and enterprise businesses. And, like, and now we're seeing a lot of tech being built for specifically for charities and nonprofits. And you've obviously done that, that, that quite a bit. But going starting like stride for stride, like what was some of the, the first steps from from just idea, right? We want to do this to actually going to do it. Yeah. So it's basically, it took a two week road trip in California reading, start something that matters, uh, really gave me, that gave me a foundation to start. So I think for a lot of startups, you have all the idea and they were basic buy race bits for low income runners, but right. then you have to, you have to come up with a name, which is a real challenge for any startup, any charity. What's the name going to be? Are the uh, Instagram available? Are sure. The, the Don't name. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so um, Stride for Stride, I thought made sense. I thought it described exactly what I do, what we do. You know, then our next step in the fall was to create a logo. And um, I wanted our logo, you know, if you've ever been in races, most of the logos have sort of a running figure, running man on them. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. we wanted it to be different than that. We wanted something that really stood out. Uh, so you can see it from afar and know that it's stride for stride and something that talks about our mission to give everyone an equal opportunity. So we actually just created very basic two brush marks that are uh, equal sign, equality sign. And uh, that's our logo is very simple. And then we've made variations through it, like uh, the rainbow flag through it and uh, different colors. And we actually have the countries that all our runners are, are in that equal sign awesome. also. Different variations, but the basic is just an equality sign. Then obviously after that, kind of put the website out and, and then launch it. The biggest difference, the I've started five five LOCs or, or <laughs> They're a lot easier to start than uh, yeah. a charity. There's so a lot you, of process to go through. There really is. And for right right reasons. But you know, you can create an LLC, you can have something up and running by tomorrow. Yep. Uh, for for a charity, there are a lot of steps. Uh it's actually not cheap. It, I think it was about two grand, uh, even using something like LegalZoom, two grand to get everything started. Hmm. And um, then you have to wait about nine months for approval, sending to the IRS and uh, uh, actually got a letter back. They needed more information and then uh, they came back to us. So it is a bit of a challenge. And obviously so they don't want people to take advantage of the charitable sure. status and pretending to be charity and then shoving the money in their pocket. Yep. But uh, so that was a that was my first experience starting a charity compared to uh previous corporations. And that was a big eye opener. It is, there certainly are barriers to start and uh, which is, especially the cost of law enforcement. But, uh, how is, how is sort of the success is, is a big word, right? But I guess what are some of the, the missions and goals that, that have been sort of achieved so far, right? Has it, has it been just simply, you know, like you said, getting this team together, getting people to this barrier to entry, right? Just this opportunity to, to be able to run. Cause I think the one thing we kind of think about, well, we forget about a little bit with running is that it's also like a health issue. If you're a runner, usually you live a much healthier lifestyle, right? And, and that's sort of super important for individuals in, in communities where, like you said, there, there's just not that that running sort of community around them, right? So it's like a lot of people don't even know where to go or even how to enter a race. Like it's just not on top of mind for, for a lot of people. So like, I guess, how would you even sure. find the runners, right? Initially, like, do you just, well, just go out to put something on Boston tweet and be like, Hey, we just started this just charity. Would you like to run? Yeah, that's part of it. Well, if, if, to add to the, kind of what you said in the beginning, there's a lot of communities where running is not safe. 
yeah. you know, we saw that with Ahmad earlier this year, young boy that was shot mm. for running. You know, that's a reality for a lot of people in various communities. So part of our goal is to create a safer running community and, and races are usually part of a safer running community, but you do have to train before getting there. But we, I launched the Stride for Stride site. It's putting it out to the world. And it's always fun putting out, you know, a new startup or a platform out there you put it out there and you're so excited and no one shows up no one's there like it, it's 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 such a i've done it a few times now and it's such an unnerving thing because you know it's scary yeah so it was also that you know november's the end of race season racing doesn't really start up at least up in the northeast until february so we had a few months of having no runners and it was you know you start to doubt yourself is there actually really good runners avid runners is what we're looking for that want to run races and can't afford to and then february we connected with back on my feet which which helps homeless people i was just about to ask that man yeah Yeah. they're great they're great and we have a boston chapter and it helps homeless people get out of homelessness by running so the concept is it's tremendous the concept is if you can commit to running three days a week i think at six in the morning Mm -hmm. then you can start to commit to paying bills going to a job on time. Um, I can't commit to running six o'clock in the morning. So it's it's not an easy task. So one of our first runners, Ned, who's still with us, he's one of the most terrific guys I I know, was our first runner. And that's when everything changed. That's when I said, okay, there's promise here. So we, we sponsored Ned for that first race. In February, we sponsored Ned for his first marathon three months later, which he finished in three hours and 25 minutes. Uh, which is a, which is a tremendous time. After Ned, a guy named Estrado came for us. Estrado is uh, uh, a guy that lives in Boston. He's from Guatemala. He's a guy that I've ran with a little bit over the years. And uh, I saw him and, and told him about Stride for Stride. And he didn't say anything then. But then he sent me an email the next day and said, would you ever sponsor me? And I'm like, of course. You're, you're exactly who I would like to sponsor. So Estrado came on a team. And then after that, he brought almost everyone else after that. So he brought... Wow. He brought a husband and wife team from Guatemala. He brought other friends of his that he, in his community from Nicaragua and El Salvador, they started bringing friends of theirs that run. Then we have a, we have a team down in Miami who grew up in Nicaragua with a couple of our Boston runners. So it has then started to spread just by word of mouth. And, uh, and that has been tremendous of just, uh, you know, giving like Jessica and Doug are from Guatemala. Uh, Jessica's a marathoner and, and Doug usually runs half marathons. They've never, could run a race together. So they would pick and choose the races. Hmm. They could never afford to, they could barely afford one race, but they certainly could never afford two races. So Doug would always cheer Jessica on at the finish line. Oh, uh, incredible. But now, last year, now they were able to run 12 races together, one marathon together with Stride for Stride and just give them the opportunity, you know, to enjoy the races together. And, and they're, you know, two of my favorite people that, uh, that I've ever met. It's so, amazing, man. Um, what, so Ned came from, Back on your feet through that through that Ned, partnership. Ned was back on my feet. Yeah, he's yep. uh, he's originally from Chile and uh, uh, back on my feet. Or people are suffering from homelessness and alcoholism, and and Ned has recovered from all those. And uh, he's a tremendous runner. It's just a tremendous runner. Yeah. So so how has uh, I I think what's great about like the Boston tweet aspect is that you could just kind of really use it. You kind of have the freedom, and I love this about. You know, people kind of owning their own platforms, right? A lot will cause artists is like you kind of don't have to listen to anybody. You could just kind of put out what you want and use it for what you want, right? At that particular time in in your life, right? And and so it has like the content you put out there has that shifted to much more of you know an impact oriented to content much more more than before, just because Stride for Stride has taken a lot of your 
your, your life's time. And, and you obviously want to showcase that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And actually that started back in like 15 when I, with Flutter, which was right. raised money for charity, uh, totally shifted. So to be honest, if you look at my, I'm kind of putting some audio down on my earlier, earlier tweets. They're really awful. It's, it's, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually amazing that people will follow me in the early days because they were just so dry. It's basically like, <laughs> Public house is open from nine to five, sort of thing. But I had no competition, so I had to, you know, it was great. Right. If I ever tried to put Boston tweet out now, I'd be just slaughtered. There would yeah. Be, yeah. But I had the benefit of having a lot of runway and no competition. But it has certainly changed. It has certainly become more charitable and not, you know, earlier when I first started, it was a little more social going out and uh, yeah. And restaurants need our help badly now, or federal yeah. help too. But uh, it is certainly more charitable side that I that I focus on and to have a large platform you have about 300,000 people in the city of Boston you know it's a great ability to give a voice to a charity to give a voice to campaigns you know we had a tons of tremendous uh, campaigns during the pandemic mm-hmm. that people were raising money for the front line um, I started a thing called heart to cart mm-hmm. which um, which bought grocery cards for people that were suffering during the uh, during the pandemic and that are still suffering and the nice thing about Boston Tweet, and it's not always the case, you know, you have to make sure people assume since you have a very large internet following, Twitter following, that you can put anything out there and get people to do. And it, it's certainly not the case. It has to be timely and it has to be something relevant to right. your, your demographics. And most of my demos are about 25 to 40 live in the city, tilt towards female. And you have to know what's of interest to them. And, and something like Heart to Cart, before Heart to Cart, I was like, eh, I don't know if Twitter's working that well anymore. Heart to Cart was able to put out there and we raised $16,000 for um, wow. grocery cards. We bought $100 grocery cards wow. for, that's uh, 160 so families and just delivered them to mostly immigrant communities that were suffering here in Boston, Chelsea, East Boston, Revere mm-hmm. and Lynn. And uh, so Twitter is still a tremendous platform to get in, to getting that message out and, and to helping me. But I was talking to a guy today, you know, we're sell, we sell gators to raise money for Stripe for Stripe. But there comes a point where people get tired of you, though. So the gator, yeah. sales, the gator sales were doing really well. And then all of a sudden, people are like, all right, Tom, we're sick of this. We're not buying them anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So you have to know when to stop harassing your Twitter followers or, or Instagram followers. You know, I have a smaller following on Instagram. But it, it has certainly been beneficial. And it certainly has changed over the years to be, you know, I think a much better social platform you talked a little earlier about sort of the 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 scavenger hunts like with with with, with charities and, and sort of businesses and obviously that's come to a complete halt right so yes, that's it, done. yeah it do you see sort of like local charities and nonprofits suffering the same way as like small businesses or are they sort of in the same boat because when business or the economy is not doing well usually donations slow down are you sort of seeing that locally in Boston um, or, or do you see that, you know, more people have more time in their hands, right? So maybe they are send, spending, sending that money just because it's so much needed, especially on like the front lines, like you said, and, and sort of. Yeah. So this has been a, this has actually been a tremendous year for charitable donations. However, I think it's been focused on certain types of charities. Right. Certainly. So I don't, I don't think it's equal across the board, you know, Black Lives Matter, a lot of uh, racial injustice charities have done really well. Frontline charities and uh, charities that feed feed the homeless, I think, have done quite mm-hmm. well too. I'm not 100 sure which ones have been suffering. Stride for Stride, for example, we've actually had it. We've lost about around the Boston Marathon was canceled, so we lost about twenty thousand dollars in um, in charitable donations due to race bibs and due to uh, 
uh, just events that have happened around there, right. the charities. However, it's actually been a really good year for us, even with that loss. And we've been able to make money, receive donations, and generate income from Gators in other ways. So mm -hmm. it's it's actually been a pretty good year for us. And we've actually added a handful of new runners, a couple guys from Mexico, which is awesome. So I, I don't know it's too many other charities how they've been doing, but uh, on a whole, it's been a it's been a big year for. There's some charities that tons uh, receiving tons of donations for sure. Did you see like when when you talk to to charities and and nonprofits and do do you maybe consult with them a little bit about like how to since now you come from the business side and now you started your own organization right you're kind of leveraging all your skills that that you brought from the from the business world you know into the nonprofit sector that that helps you you know, keep the nonprofit afloat, right? Keep it sustainable. Just like any business or any nonprofit there, that sustainability needs to be there or the impact yeah. doesn't exist. So do you, do you sort of like consult with, with charities? Like what are they, like, what are some of the things you see within sort of the nonprofit world, maybe that they can do a little bit better to leverage Twitter or Instagram or just social media in general and just understand that landscape, how to make it work for them better? Yeah, I think a lot of it, it's, it, it's just getting more personal, telling the personal mm -hmm. stories on Instagram, as opposed like when I started Boston Tweet, it was really dry and awful. You know, a buddy of mine owns it takes a village foundation, which a uh, very small charity in Boston, like Stride for Stride, it provides uh, zero interest loans mm. to, to entrepreneurs in uh, Uganda and Kenda, Kenya and other third world nations. It's absolutely terrific. And they pay the loans back when they can, but at no interest. And uh, so a lot of discussing with him is just to really tell the story on social media, especially Instagram. I think Instagram is probably a better platform if you don't have a foundation on Twitter to tell the story of the people that you support, the entrepreneurs that you support. And with Stride for Stride, to really tell the, try to tell the story of our runners and right. uh, to get as personal as possible and not, and not necessarily always ask for money and um, right. which gets a little draining on people. And especially now there's so many people that are, are hurting but just to tell the personal story and if there's like a personal connection there, then it will resonate and then it will lead to, if it doesn't lead to donation, it might lead to a story. Like I, anytime someone puts a story about Stride for Stride, I'm as excited as I am about a donation because mm -hmm. it just means we'll find maybe one new person to learn about it. So, so sort of the guys like Greg that I talked to who owns that other charity and some of the other small ones here, it's just, you know, to be as personal as possible as you can on your feed uh, and to really tell that story. I wanted to go back real quick to when you talked about the book, when you talked about uh, Blake, the founder of Tom's wrote a book and, and that's the one you have mentioned that you were reading when you took that sort of California journey to really create a mindset for yourself, right? To, to start a new chapter of your life, really, right? So what was, yeah. I guess, what were some of the takeaways from, from the book that you really valued that really hit home for you? Well, part of that journey, I also quit Twitter for two weeks, so which, <laughs> which was actually... Uh, <laughs> As much as beneficial as Twitter is, I think it also can rot your brain. Sure. And uh, so uh, uh, one to just clear your mind off, and especially with politics and yeah. coronavirus. It can be rough. Uh, very rough. And, uh, you know, I think with Blake's book, it's, it's actually been probably a year since I've read it now. But uh, And just go with something that you know. And, uh, you know, with Stride for Stride, it really just sort of came to me because it was something that I saw every time I ran a race, which hmm. is pretty, pretty often. And not trying to cure or solve something that I really wasn't familiar with. Right. Um, I was familiar with running and I was familiar with my own observation. So just start something that you see around you and that small changes can make a difference. You know, Stride for Stride is not, it's a very small charity, but 
I feel we're making a huge impact on the 25 runners' lives and, and, and especially some Estrada from Guatemala, the money he saves from not being able to run races or being able to run races, uh, not having to buy shoes. The money goes home to his child and his mother in, right. in Guatemala. And, you know, so it's just you don't have to have an impact from what I got out from Blake's book is an impact necessarily as big as Tom's, which is a massive company. You can make an impact with just one person's life or 10 people's lives on a much smaller scale. So I think a lot of people are probably intimidated to start something because if it's not going to affect a million people, right. or not, not going to raise a million dollars or donations, then it's no sense doing it. But, you know, if you can change someone's life, I said heart to cart sent a hundred dollar gift card to a guy uh, last week and he sent me a message back saying it was the nicest thing someone has ever done for me. It was a hundred dollars. I mean, that's not a lot. It, yeah. to, be honest, to be honest, it made me really sad and, and cry because, you know, I feel fortunate I am to have a lot more than that. And it's just for him to say it's the most uh, generous things that someone has ever done. It's sad, but I, you know, that makes a difference in life. And something like heart to cart, we bought grocery cards. Anyone can start that in an hour. Right. It's such right. an easy thing. You know, every community has a community, every town has a community that's suffering. You can just, even if you only buy four families, a hundred dollar gift cards, that's going to make a huge difference in their lives. It's going to take stress off of them. I mean, it, I know it's life to, like to struggle to pay bills and how stressful that is, but I've never had the experience of struggling to pay for food. And I mm -hmm. cannot imagine how scary that must be. So someone can start something. So what I got out of Blake's book is you can start something that matters, even though it only affects one person or two people. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, it's just an put it out there. Yeah, man. It. I think that's an, it's an amazing takeaway. And I think it's such a, a great lesson. And just like you said, there, there's something all around us, right? We, in our daily lives, there's, there's things that we could make better by doing small little things, right? I think, I think heart to cart is such a, a great example of, of how you can, you can do something just a period of time where it's like, look, this is not, this is something just we want to do right now because it's so needed. It might not be a, a 30 year thing, right? Like a third, you know, it's not something that might, that yeah, lasts forever, right. right? It's just something in this era, this right now, it gets a family, right? To, to the next day, to the next week. And then that could lead to something even bigger, right? Like Ned, I think Ned's a, a great example of just like a simple opportunity, right? That, that he was given, whether it's, it's, you know, back on my feet or whether it's with you guys, like the opportunity to, improve our lives there's never nothing too small right like the, the smallest thing can blossom into a life-changing thing right i mean I think oh, you, you see it with sure. ned you, you know you saw it with you never know what that with that generosity of the card might do for that person in his family that that generosity i mean you never know what that could spark inside somebody yeah down the road he pays it on to somebody else and you know and ned crossing a finish line it's just for someone that's homeless was homeless you know, if you're, if you never cross the finish line, you might not get it, but it's just this incredible sense of accomplishment, mm -hmm. especially a marathon, which are just awful. I mean, that's, that's crazy, bro. <laughs> I, I've, ran, I've ran six before and I, I think they're awful, um, but you're addicted to it. It's crazy. <laughs> but, you know, it's just pushing your body to the limit and, and accomplishing something you never expected. That, that just goes for years down the road of, of showing you that what you can do and it can change your entire mindset of, of going from I can't do that to I can do it. So, you know, it's terrific. I, I think yeah. the key the key word you said there with Ned was was homeless, right? And and so whether it's 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 back on my feet or, you know, you guys, that was a path for for him to to start 
at least to to do something positive right and get out of that that funk and, and hole he was in and i just think man it, it just takes those those little those little efforts by by individuals right i know back on my feet is a is a big organization it's it's really yeah. if people don't know i mean it, it's really one of the most uh impactful nonprofits that that i know of we we interviewed the ceo actually on the podcast and it was oh yeah really? it was it was it was just i mean like you said it was just tons of stories uh, like ned's and also just you know she really spoke eloquently about the uh, mental health aspect of it all right of getting used to just dedicating yourself to something whether it's yeah. running right whether it's doing whatever right it's the the idea of of mental exercise to to do one thing repetitively and and running right and, and racing it sort of to, she talked about like sort of the the blood that pumps through your body right and you get more blood to to your brain and that sort of enables some some, some things in, in, in your brain to, to start to work and function better and it's just it's just a motivating factor from from a health standpoint which then you know there's all these triggers that come out of being having a healthy lifestyle you start to have things around you in your life start to become better yeah. i'm sure you've yeah. witnessed that being a marathon runner and stuff of how yeah that i mean a, runner, a runner's high is, is real i mean it yeah. really you know especially during a pandemic it's been tough for people to stay motivated to keep on track of you know getting out of the house or whatever especially if you're working from home all day and uh there's a lot of running is obviously not the only thing but for me for running it, it gets me out it keeps me motivated and when i'm not doing that you know i start to go down a little negative town side and uh you know it just it's the runner's high. And then after that, I can be energized to do something else uh, after I take a nap. I always think any long distance, I crash for like an hour, but uh, uh, it's quite exhausting. But yeah, it's, 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 I think back on my feet is tremendous. And it's just, it really keeps, I've met a lot of the runners and we, we sponsored a few runners from back on my feet since then. Ned is the only one that's, actually super avid runner and tremendous runner that sticks with our team. But uh, they're a tremendous organization that just gives these people hope and, uh, and some sort of a schedule and a sort of a normal routine. How would you, uh, how would you recommend people get into to running who hate it? Like my, I'm asking for a friend, not myself. Cause yeah. I, I, I have a hard time like enjoying it. Right. But I know it's, it's a very good, healthy habit. So like, how did you get started? Yeah, so but you're, when you say that, it's not, you're doing a little more for exercise as sort of to keep staying in shape and healthy, which is, of course, certainly great. And that's what running is for. I think for with me, what, what switched, and I only started running six, seven years ago, what me made the switch from being, I have to do this to stay in shape and stay healthy to being, okay, I'm obsessed with running, is running a road race. And, and basically, it was the Falmouth Road Race in Boston, Cape Cod, Falmouth. 12,000 runners. It's a legendary race. It's uh, spectators all along. It's like, hmm. it, it's second to the Boston Marathon with crowd size and stuff. Once I ran that and people were cheering me on and I was running this race with like guys like uh, Dick Hoyt, who was a legend here in Boston, Boston Marathon finishers, Dave McGilvery, who's a legend, all these guys in the same race. That's when it switched for me to being, it's a sport and I'm competing and I'm training for a race. So that's a long-winded way of saying, I would suggest getting into a race, running a race. You, mm. you can't do it this year, unfortunately. Yeah. But running a 5K or a 10K and feeling the adrenaline, it's a total different rush. Hmm. And the adrenaline will push you forward. It, it, I think it will change your mindset of, of running just being kind of a chore to do. Like, right, right. Like maybe going to the gym if you don't like going to the gym sort of thing. 
uh, it, it's what switched for me. And um, especially a race with tons of people, like you feel like a rock star. I mean, and I, the coolest thing that I love about running, Boston Marathon, running a race, you're running with the best runners in the world. Shalane Fanagan, Des, Des Med, all these tremendous runners who are the best in our sport. It's the only sport where you can actually run with them. Of hmm. course, of course, they're way ahead of me. But, you know, you can't play football with Tom Brady. You can't, you can't play baseball with, uh, you know, David Ortiz. Sorry, I'm very Boston focused. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, the oh, greatest. naming all the old, washed-up Boston. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I couldn't come up with anyone current except for David Ortiz. But uh, you know, that's what it, running is so cool that you can. I mean, in theory, you could win that race, like a Boston Marathon, against these guys. You you do start a little later, so probably not. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of an amazing thing about it. And uh, again, I would I would highly recommend running a race. And uh, if uh, I don't know if we were ever out your way, would love run with our team. Dude, that's and, cool, uh, man. I have, yeah. It's weird because I do have like a friend circle who's like avid runners. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's just like they always make fun of me because, you know, I can't run a 1K, you know, and and uh, it's dig on me. But they they express the same love as you do. You know, yeah. they're, they're sort of. You oh, know, don't get me wrong. Runners are freaking crazy. Too. <laughs> like, like we're totally aware that we're sort of sort of nuts, especially marathoners. And one of the guys on our team ran 32 miles on Sunday and uh Kalaman from Brazil, who's just a 250 Boston marathoner, which is sick. So we understand we're a little off balance when it comes to that. But uh, it's uh, for me, for someone that's in my late 40s, uh, it's been a tremendous way to, you know, stay in shape, to stay healthy and to give me something to do. Also, the one thing that, that I think would be pretty invigorating just from like a, a human spirit sort of thing, right, is like having that impact on somebody's life, right? Like, like the first time, do you remember like the first time that you, whether it was Stride for Stride or some of the other things that, that your endeavors, where it was like, you know, somebody said, thank you, or like you impacted my life. How does that feel when, when you know you played a role in something like that? Because it's just a, that is also a very, very powerful experience. I guess much like a runner's high. Would be. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, the, the satisfaction and joy that I get from running with the team that we sponsor has been tremendous. We actually just sponsored Eduardo um, mm-hmm. from Mexico. We have another guy named Estuardo. This is Eduardo from Mexico. Uh, he's never ran a race before. He joined us, and right now we're virtual, so it, it's not. It's certainly different. But uh, we did a virtual uh, 10K about five weeks ago, and we did it around this lake here in Boston. And I have a video of it on my. I have a video of it on my Instagram account. And when Eduardo ran through the finish line, there was basically just a line in the dirt. His excitement was like he finished the Boston Marathon. He was so excited. <laughs> One, because he never ran a race, and this was actually a virtual race, but he never ran that distance before. He never ran with people before. We had about five or six people very well distance running at the time. And watching that video and watching him cross it was just, it just made me so happy because his excitement was off the charts. And the only thing I was thinking was like, I can't wait for him to run a real race with thousands of people. He gets a medal at the finish line, a real finish line, and how excited he will be. So just seeing his joy, it's just, it's, I know it's maybe cliche, but it's just, it's the reason why I do it. Like, it's just, it's everything uh, with what Strive for Strive is about. So it propels him forward, not just running, but propels him to stay focused in life and health. And, uh, you know, and it also gives a lot of these guys an outlet if they're working, mm-hmm. right? if they're working tough jobs, not making a lot of money, you know, working harder than I've ever worked, at least they know on Sunday they have a race to look forward to. And it's a change in the monotony of maybe a life that's not, that's a bit difficult. I usually like to end on 
a little bit of you know future future goals and, and sort of missions. And, and I know it's it's a little difficult right now to to assess that, right? But like, what does what does success look like for for you over the next you know few years? What are some of the goals and missions that you just have from an impact standpoint, whether it's Strive for Stride or, or other companies that that you may start or or, or into now? Yeah, with Strive for Stride, our, our goal is one to keep adding runners to our team. And mm-hmm. I think and I think this year it'll probably be kind of slow, even though we had great guys like Eduardo added to our team this year, but to really beef that up next year. We're looking forward to 2021 being a year that we can actually get back on the course and run. Looking forward to creating more programs like Heart to Cart. So Heart mm-hmm. to Cart, we support some of the some of the community some of our Strive for Stride communities who uh, you know most are immigrants. And so some of the gift cards have gone to them that that are in need. Obviously you can't run if you're hungry and if you're not eating right. Um, most of the cards went to uh, other communities in Chelsea and stuff. So it was the first time I realized, oh, we can add more essentials to Strive for Strive. So mm, something yeah. like, you know, for, for food, we can add these food gift cards to them. Right. Um, we've chatted with uh, Citizen Citizen Project, uh, which provides free legal advice towards becoming a U.S. citizen. Hmm. Um, so connect uh, our runners with, with that charity. And other things that I don't know, actually, Forward Fitness. Uh, Forward Fitness is a chiropractor and, and so a sports uh, masseuse and uh, acupuncture that we're working with now to give our runners the opportunity, you know, to have a chiropractor, to have some massages, which I'm assuming most have not had that because, you know, it's a $200 session. You can't afford that. So just working with making the entire, all the wellness much better for our team and our runners. Amazing. And, and I think adding on from that, whatever it might be, I don't even know, you know, what will come heart to heart came to me over a weekend watching Tyler Perry because Tyler Perry bought groceries during the pandemic for people. Gotcha. And I was like, well, I can easily do that too. So part of growing Strive for Strive be adding a lot more services that can benefit our low-income runners and our immigrant runners. And, um, you know, my goal is hope to be able to do Strive for Strive for a very long time. So uh, I absolutely love doing it. It keeps me healthy too, and it keeps me energized. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's our immediate goals. We have... Uh, you know, a couple guys that will be running the Boston Marathon next year, which is wow for running. That's like the World Series, the Super Bowl, huh? Yeah, yeah, and everyone wants to run it. Unfortunately, we can't afford to get everyone in. Sure, uh, but uh, we'll have a couple guys running that next year, and probably myself. So, uh, so hopefully, we all stay healthy and, and get to twenty twenty one. That's pretty amazing, man. Well, well, thank you for taking the time. I think I, I, I really just, I, I just love the the idea that. Doing something small, man. I think you said it right. Is that you never know what that can do, you know, for not only a person that you impact, but also yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, there's it, there's such tremendous value, almost from a selfish standpoint, right? You don't you don't sort of realize it because you wanna you wanna help individuals. I think we we all want to in, in some sort of way, right? And you said it perfectly. Never think that anything you do for somebody is too small, and then don't do it. You know, yeah. I, 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 just, I, I think. Just being able to put something out there, like on um, Twitter, someone criticized me for not helping a various community. And anyone can apply for a gift card on Heart to Cart. But my initial thought was like, do it yourself too. Like it's so yeah. easy to, yeah. to go out there. Like it's not, it's it shouldn't, even if it's just helping five people, it makes a difference. And we all can do that. You know, most of us can raise 500 bucks to buy gift cards and that's going to make a huge difference in someone's life. So. Amazing, man. Again, thank you for taking the time. I, I know you're you're busy with the uh, juggling a lot of things that that you have going on, and, and yeah, I just uh, it's been an absolute pre- pleasure. And I've been a huge fan. 
uh, clothes artist. And again, like I said, those books have really changed. I mean, it really changed my life and thinking. So and it's because of you writing that article. I don't know how old the article is, but I read it two years ago. So yeah. <laughs> um, I really appreciate it. And everything you do uh, is great. And the uh, your new program with the uh, the community is it sounds terrific. So uh, yeah, keep plugging away. I think it's awesome. Appreciate it, Tom. And ha have a great day. Have a great week. And uh, you know, just keep keep inspiring others, man. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, strive for stride. And we can talk in another year or two or three and ten years from now. And, and it's still it's still going strong. And the team yeah. gets bigger and bigger, man. I hope so. And if That's you know anyone cool. in your area community, please we sponsor runners anywhere in the country. So uh, amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Appreciate it, buddy. Really awesome to talk to you. Appreciate it. Thank you.